This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, February 2nd. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Council shares a festival of perspectives. Town launches effort to hear from all its residents. Eyes to ears with Caleb Eatman and a mountain weather forecast. But first, travelers beware and plan accordingly. The Colorado Department of Transportation is partially closing Highway 145 between Rico and Trout Lake beginning on Saturday, February 3rd at 8 a.m. for winter maintenance. Motorists attempting to navigate Lizard Head Pass over the weekend should expect delays in intermittent road closures. For more information, visit cotrip.org. With unseasonably high temps, slightly longer days, and that robust Colorado sun shining, it was starting to feel downright summery in Telluride earlier this week. And town council responded in kind with a lengthy discussion updating codes governing our festivals. Telluride last updated its festival codes in 2012, says Director of Parks and Rec, Stephanie Jacquet. Specifically, it was the ability for a festival, i.e. bluegrass, because that's who would fall within that size category, to request an additional 500 people per day uh, if they provided a local ticket option that was specific to San Miguel County residents. And that needed to be approved by town council via a resolution. And looking back since 2012, they received the um, 12,000 person maximum capacity six years out of 10, not counting the COVID years. Now, GK says it's time to consider whether town would like to codify that 12,000 attendee maximum so festivals don't have to request it through a special process annually. Also up for consideration are local ticket programs, which are required of festivals with over 1,000 attendees. Last year, local ticket sales were determined during contract negotiations between festivals in the town, says Jacquet. And we had great collaboration with the events that are listed, um, and they all uh, met the requirement in different ways because it is a a flexible plan and requirement because not... One, one size doesn't fit all in terms of how they can accommodate local tickets or what the needs are. Um, so that was successfully implemented, but staff is recommending that the code be revised to reflect that requirement. Currently, such ticket programs are not written into town code. Jacquet says putting them on the books could be a good idea. Only one festival was in attendance to comment during council's work session. It was Bluegrass, currently the only festival which has reached 12,000 attendees. Zachary Tucker is the operations director with Planet Bluegrass, which organizes Telluride's Bluegrass Festival. He says after a few years operating with that max number. I kind of feel like the normal capacity for Bluegrass really is 12,000 people. And, uh, you know, every year I sit in wrap-up meeting with, with you know, police and fire and all of our people that we've worked together with. And it's always the same. Hey, that was great. Everybody worked together. Awesome. We felt like the needs were addressed. This was the smoothest year ever. Awesome. And so... I feel like that's kind of corroborated the fact that 12,000 people is a really reasonable capacity for our festival. He'd like council to put the maximum in code. So what I'm hoping for today would be that we can keep that as the standard um, moving forward with this local ticket requirement. Council members had lots of feelings about increasing festival capacity, 
but on the whole, they felt making the 12000 upper limit a permanent fixture was okay, as long as it was balanced with local tickets, explains Councilmember Ellen Eleven. One of the concerns that I have with these big festivals is the impact on town. And if we're diverting a set amount of those tickets to locals, it's lowering the community impact because they're staying at their own house. They're maybe, you know, making breakfast in their own kitchen. You know, they're the people who we want to have using our resources like the park. Currently, a number of festivals run local ticket programs of some sort, from the Imogene Pass run to Mountain Film. The most robust program belongs to Bluegrass, which held two local sales last November and is looking to offer another sale in March. Councilmember Geneva Shawnette says as such programs become part of town code, she'd like to see the number of tickets offered to locals be uncapped, basically unlimited. If more locals want to go, everyone should have an opportunity to purchase. And we're talking at full price here, so it's not like we're dinging um, revenue opportunity, mm-hmm. which I think is reasonable as well. As the conversation went from broad to detailed, the questions got thornier. Council members asked, what about locals who don't want to attend festivals and just want to have their soccer match or their picnic in a peaceful town park? Is there a way to limit breakdown in setup time to move festivals more efficiently? Then there's the age-old question, who's a local? Currently, to purchase a local ticket, you must be a resident of San Miguel County. What about commuters from Montrose and Rico who are connected to the Telluride community? Councilmember Mian Fee says expanding that definition feels dicey. It's it's a it's a hard conversation, right? But one of the reasons we have this ticket policy is because of the direct impacts of the people that are paying for the park being able to utilize it. And so I think I am cons- I mean, if we're like broadening this to Montrose County, you know, it's that's a big population base that we're adding into this mix, um, and I'm worried about putting it in. On the whole, council opted to keep details broad and let festivals determine the specifics, such as the parameters of their local ticket sales in contract negotiations with town staff. Staff will draft up an ordinance with new festival guidelines that require a local ticket program for any festival with over 1,000 attendees and make 12,000 the new maximum festival capacity. At a future meeting, council will then examine that language and will continue to fine-tune details. Next Monday, the town of Telluride is taking over the program room at the Wilkinson Library to launch a new initiative. So this is actually going to be the the first of a fairly large series we're planning on hosting. Um, it's called Collective Envisioning. That's Town Communications Director Lindsay Mills. The workshop is an opportunity for town's public-facing departments, from Parks and Recreation to the Marshals, to the Manager's Office, and so on, to connect with area residents and hear their ideas and their needs. Mills says the room will be set up in different stations, like speed dating. Each of the departments will have a different table. We'll split everybody up into groups so we can have smaller, more focused discussions. There will be interpreters at every table, so we'll be offering English and Spanish at each of those stations. Um, so we'll be able to you know, offer all of our feedback and then also receive feedback in both languages. The workshop is an outgrowth of Telluride's JEDI initiatives standing for justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. 
town meetings, of course, are open to all attendees and they welcome public input. But for many, the process of getting involved comes with significant barriers, admits Mills. You know, our our meetings are during the day. Our town council meetings are from 10 to 5 every third Tuesday. And that's a really difficult time for people to get out of work and into meetings to make sure that they can make public comment and get involved in the conversation. And those meetings are conducted in English with no live interpretation as of yet. With the launch of the collective envisioning workshops, Town hopes to break down those barriers to hear more needs, ideas, and opinions from its residents. When it comes to meeting the currently unmet needs of folks in Telluride, Mills says some things are clear. For example, in the communications world. One of our major initiatives for the upcoming year is making sure that as much as we possibly can, we have Spanish translation with everything that we do, whether that's meeting recaps or our newsletter push. Um, All of our news releases are translated into Spanish as well now. A lot of our emails are pushed and can detect um, English versus Spanish on that browser. So we're, we're able to kind of serve that. But we still need to expand. I know the manager's department in particular. But overall, Milsa's town employees are coming to the workshop with open ears and an open mind. Because we don't know what folks need. And that's why this initiative has become such a focus of the town council goals and objectives and the work that the staff is doing, especially when it comes to serving the community in the year ahead. Telluride's first collective envisioning workshop takes place Monday, February 5th, in the Wilkinson Library program room from 4 to 6 p.m. It's a drop-in affair. Come when you can. The event is completely bilingual. Snacks and childcare will be provided. Town plans to repeat these visioning sessions on a biennial basis, with another session penciled in for August of 2024. Judging a book by its cover is a no-no. But this week on Eyes to Ears, Telluride High School's Caleb Eatman does just that. Have a listen. Good evening, listeners. Welcome back to another Eyes to Ears installment, where your host, Caleb Eatman, describes art found in art galleries found within Telluride. Today, you'll hear of another book cover from AHA made by Joe D. Fenton. This description should be rather swift in comparison to my other episodes. Your hands trace over the soft and wrinkly black leather cover, only interrupted by the five cold metal wires on each side of the cover. The front and back cover wires range in their own combination of colors, from blue to orange to green to yellow to red at the front, and orange to green to blue to red to yellow. These wires twist and bend like long, shiny strands of smoke. The ends curl into spirals as if they were steel fern vines. And in between the spirals, leaves the twisting, bending, winding journey, as if you were looking at a hiking trail map, or the side profiles of faces, or the sideways appearance of mountain ranges such as ours. Usually when I describe art found in these art galleries, I usually go under the guise of thinking that most of the art that I see are from people who have done this for years. But these 
these book covers were made by students, adult students, but students nonetheless in the craft of making book covers, something we would not think much of because you're taught to not judge a book by its cover. But to say to not judge a book um, by its cover is not to say to not look at the cover, to not appreciate it for the effort put into it. But whatever the case, whatever books you read, if you read any at all, or if the cover in question is someone's face at first glance, I hope you don't forget to stop and appreciate the beauty of it, to at least some extent. Thank you for listening to this latest installment into the Eyes to Ears series on Kodo. My name is Kayla Beatman, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. T'was a quiet week in the snow department, but with the weekend, the skies are changing. 8 to 14 inches of snow could fall in the San Juans this weekend, and a winter storm warning issued by the National Weather Service is in effect through Sunday afternoon. The San Miguel County Sheriff's Office is notifying area residents of treacherous driving conditions and a potential for road closures. There's already a partial closure of Lizard Head Pass on Saturday, February 3rd. For those traveling farther afield, the Colorado Department of Transportation is expecting travel disruptions, significant snowfall, and heavy traffic on the I-70 corridor. The storm is also bringing high avalanche danger. So, whether driving mountain roadways or recreating in the backcountry, travelers should practice extreme caution. The Colorado Avalanche Information Center has issued an avalanche watch here in the San Juans through Saturday. Find the latest information and forecasts at avalanche.state.co.us. The Telluride Medical Center is announcing a new executive director. Jeff Roberts has been on the job since January 1st, according to a statement released this Friday by the TMRC. Roberts has long worked in healthcare leadership. He holds a master's in healthcare management from the University of Minnesota. He comes to the Med Center from the Orthopedic Surgery Center in Denver, a facility he helped open. Telluride Hospital District Board Chair Paul Reich notes Roberts has worked with both smaller clinics and large hospital systems, a mix of experience, which, says Reich, is quote, critical as we work to improve our current practices as well as position ourselves to grow into a new regional facility, unquote. Reich notes Roberts is already familiar with the region's community and he's got housing. Roberts is a part-time resident of Mountain Village. Democratic state lawmakers are considering a bill that would allow more Coloradans to live together. The bill would block counties and municipalities from enforcing occupancy limits or enacting new ones. It would allow limits only for health and safety reasons. Around a dozen Colorado communities have occupancy limits on households. Fort Collins says just three unrelated people can live in a dwelling unit. Denver and Boulder allow only five. The bill was approved yesterday by a legislative committee and now moves to the House floor.
state lawmakers want to create a pathway for adult victims of childhood sexual assault to have their day in court. KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports they're proposing a change to the state constitution that would need voter approval. On average, victims don't come forward about childhood sexual abuse until they're over 50 years old. That's one reason lawmakers want to let victims sue their abusers after the statute of limitations has expired. Bree Franklin runs the Colorado Coalition Against Sexual Assault. She says institutions that covered up abuse need to be held accountable. Some are still protecting child predators. This is wrong now, and it was wrong 65 years ago. Revisiting the statute of limitations on childhood sexual abuse would require a constitutional amendment. That's because the Colorado Supreme Court struck down a state law last year that let victims sue over decades-old abuse. If the amendment passes the legislature, voters will have to weigh in on it in November. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the state capitol. The number of pedestrians and cyclists killed by cars increased in Colorado last year even while overall traffic fatalities decreased around the state. This is according to data released in January by the Colorado Department of Transportation. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGNU's Sam Fuqua sat down with Sam Cole, CDOT's safety communications manager. We've seen about a 6% decrease in the number of traffic deaths in the state. Most of those traffic deaths um, are for vehicles, people inside vehicles. We're seeing a much larger increase in traffic deaths um, among people that are outside the vehicles, such as pedestrians and bicyclists. But So it's good news if you're a driver, um, and that's probably because uh, cars are getting safer. Um, they have more airbags than ever. Uh, they have all those bells and whistles that keep you safe on the roadways. CDOT is in installing all sorts of rumble strips, our guardrail. We're doing all sorts of things to make the roadways safer. And of course, my traffic safety awareness campaigns, I hope are making a difference. So all those things together mean that if you're a somebody that just spends your life in the car when you drive, you're going to be safer and you are safer. But boy, if you're outside that vehicle, that's where the problem is. And I want to talk about that in a minute, but how are the rates of driving if we compare to, say, 10 years ago, are there the same number of cars on the road, the same number of vehicle miles being traveled? We actually have seen um, about a 50% overall increase in the number of traffic deaths on our roadways. And certainly we don't have a 50% increase in the number of people traveling on our roads in the last 10, 15 years. Population has not shot up. What has shot up um, overall are just some of those bad behaviors. Um, um, that we've seen the last 10 years, more people on their phones driving distracted, more people driving impaired. But we we think and we hope that the fever, so to speak, has broken. Um, we're starting to see those bad behaviors decline, uh, seeing more people buckling up, uh, more people not driving impaired. We saw a huge decrease in the number of fatalities involving an impaired driver. That's great news. But on the other hand, we're seeing people combine alcohol with other substances more than they ever have, and then driving. And when you do that, your level of impairment is so much higher than if you were just impaired by alcohol alone. How much of an increase have we seen in the deaths of people on bicycles, pedestrians, over the past few years? Well, um, we hit another uh, record uh, this past year of 133 pedestrians were killed on Colorado roads. Just looking at my notes here, that's a 16% increase 
just over last year. And it's just looking at the last 10 years, um, it's probably 100% increase. We've seen a doubling, if not more, of the number of pedestrians killed on our roadways. And, you know, that probably has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, people like to rock, walk instead of um, uh, driving their car. They like to ride their bike to get to work much more than they did 10, 20, 30 years ago. So, and that is great, but we have to better design our roads to meet those uh, roadway users. The variety of roadway users out there is bigger than it ever has before. We have e-bikes, we have scooters, uh, we have people on regular bikes, lots of people walking. So people aren't using our roadways just for driving anymore. And that's why we need to continue our efforts and working with cities and towns and in installing more crosswalks, uh, more bike lanes, uh, more of those bulb outs, so to speak, at intersections. So pedestrians can walk a little bit further into the intersections before they actually have to cross. There's all sorts of things that can be done from an engineering standpoint um, to keep people safe. But also we have to do more reaching out to drivers, getting drivers to slow down in urban environments. That is the number one thing people can do to save lives in our roadways, especially save the lives of bicyclists and pedestrians. Just slow down. It will give you more time to react. The other thing, Sam, that uh, we've seen happen the last 10 years is cars are getting taller and bigger and heavier. And those sorts of vehicles on our roadways pose a huge danger to bicyclists and pedestrians. Uh, if you're a pedestrian and you're hit at head level or chest level by a big pickup truck, you're much more likely to die than if you were just hit in the leg area by a sedan. Many of these uh, statistics and observations will be familiar to listeners who saw the New York Times investigative series on the dramatic increase nationwide in deaths of pedestrians. And so Colorado is is mirroring that trend, it sounds like. Coming back to the point about distracted driving, and this increase can be almost directly charted to the time smartphones became ubiquitous about 2009, 2010. And I'm guilty of this myself. You know, I have glanced at my phone while driving and I know I shouldn't be doing it. Sometimes it's awfully hard to to discipline myself not to. What do you recommend? Well, we see about 60 people uh, killed every year by a distracted driver. And that number is incredibly low. We think it's very underreported since it's a, a very hard thing to measure in a crash if somebody was uh, distracted or on their phone right before a fatal crash. But we have surveys out there showing upwards of 90% of people drive distracted, either by being on their phones, talking and looking at other passengers while they're driving, um, looking, you know, tending to their pets in the vehicles, all sorts of things that take people's eyes off the road. And really, that's a very bad behavior. It's a bad habit to get into because there's so many things while driving that you have literally seconds to respond to. You ask anybody that's ever been in a crash, they'll say, oh, if I only had a couple more seconds, I could have not hit that person or not been in that crash. So timing is everything. That's why it's so important just to have your hands on the wheel and, and the eyes on the road. But yes, um, the fact that so many people um, feel this pressure more than ever these days to to uh, multitask um, while they're driving. And I have no idea why. It used to be that you just drove. Now you want to, you know, um, Call your mom or um, look up some recipe or do all these things while you're driving because your phone is there and your phone lets you do that. Um, but no, we just you just need to put away the phone and focus on one thing at hand at hand, and that's driving. 
And finally, what about the pedestrians and the cyclists who are being injured and killed? Is there a any demographic trend or behavioral trend you saw in in those deaths? Yeah, they're mostly men. Um, we are seeing um, mostly men that are uh, that are killed as pedestrians, as victims, also as offenders. We see our riskiest drivers on our roadways being men in their in their 20s and early 30s but there also tend to be the um the pedestrians and bicyclists that are that are killed on our roadways and and i tell people yes um it's the drivers who bears the ultimate responsibility they are in the two-ton machine but until we have perfect roads and perfect drivers out there pedestrians and bicyclists you just need to be careful you know there are um, people that are drowsy and they're drugged up perhaps um but some of them just aren't paying attention that's why as you cross the road, don't be on your phone. Um, be very aware. Cross at the at the crosswalk. Um, do everything you can to protect yourself because there are bad drivers out there, unfortunately. But I know cities and towns, especially Boulder's, is doing an amazing job at some of the infrastructure improvements in, um, on our roadways to protect bicycles and pest pedestrians. But we're not fully there yet. And in the meantime, we all need to be looking out for one another. Sam Cole is safety manager for the Colorado Department of Transportation. For KGNU, I'm Sam Fuqua. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow tonight with a low around 20 degrees. The current storm is forecast to remain Saturday and Saturday night with total new accumulations of 5 to 10 inches. The high on Saturday will be around 25 degrees with a low near 10. Expect sun to return on Sunday with a high near 30, followed by a partly cloudy night with a low around 20 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, February 2nd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Attention families with kids prenatal to three. Please join Bright Futures and Wilkinson Public Library on Sunday, February 11th for a brand new community event, Healthy Child, Healthy Family. We are so excited to share resources, create connection, and give away a bunch of prizes. The event starts at 10 a.m. with brunch, followed by yoga, CPR and first aid demos, and a raffle. So come meet other parents and have some fun at this free Healthy Child, Healthy Family event on Sunday, February 11th at 10 a.m. at the library. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You're also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.